Well, you know, there's a, there's a lot of unwritten waiting in the Bible. Uh, you don't, it doesn't say, and now we wait a, a certain period of time. It, it's just an unwritten waiting. Long gaps represented perhaps even just by the turn of a page or two. Uh, so for instance, between the Old Testament and the New Testament, ju- just literally a couple of pages, you, you, you turn maybe even just one, there's 400 years from the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament. Sometimes there are long, unwritten waiting between books. So when you get to the end of Genesis and the beginning of Exodus, then you also find a period of anything from three to 400 years, depending on which commentaries you read. Long gaps, unwritten waiting. Then we even have them in the story of Jesus and the Gospels. You know, when you read any of the Gospels, it feels like, you know, Jesus is just moving from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next. Like, and you could almost read it as if it took place in a couple of days, but it doesn't. It happens over a period of three years. And so there's a lot of unwritten waiting in between the stories of Jesus that we don't have. And then there are even long periods of waiting that quietly exist, even just between two verses. Or two chapters, the end of one verse, the beginning of another. The end of one chapter, the beginning of another. Like, for instance, from Isaiah 39 to Isaiah 40. We're going to be looking at Isaiah 40 this morning. But from the end of Isaiah 39 to Isaiah 40, literally just from one verse to the next, there's a gap of 160 years. An unwritten period of waiting for God's people. And waiting periods are not easy periods. And often in those waiting periods, significant things happen that at first glance feel like the world is falling apart. But that in fact, God is actually doing something very significant that is shaking the very foundations. Why? Because sometimes the foundations need to be shaken so that we can take hold of that which is really true. That is eternal. That has significance. And this period from Isaiah 39 before, and in between Isaiah 39 and 40 is one of those unwritten periods. And a lot happens in those years. We have the coming and going of uh, two to three empires in uh, the Middle East. We have the rise and fall of the Assyrian Empire and their emperor. We have the rise of the Babylonian Empire. And just as we're getting towards the end of that 160-year period, we're having the decline of the Babylonian Empire and the rise of the, Assyri- of the Persian Empire. Things are really being shaken in the world around the people of God. Superpowers fall and another superpower rises. Then it falls and another emerges to displace it. In this 160 year period, we also remember the death of Judah's good king, King Josiah. When we first read of King Josiah for the people of God, 
It says that he did good in the eyes of the Lord. But then Josiah falls ill. It's a terminal, terminal diagnosis. But he prays for healing and he's healed. Oh, you think that was brilliant. But the sad thing about Josiah is, although he starts well and does good in the eyes of the Lord, he finishes badly. He finishes badly and he, he, instead of trusting in the Lord as his stronghold, he decides that he will build strongholds with other things that are not God. They are not Yahweh. And he finishes badly. And that leads on to the rebellious and chaotic reigns of his sons who are remembered as doing evil in the eyes of the Lord. And the people of God and his kingdom this people begin to head towards destruction in this 160-year period. And the greatest or most significant in all of this is that the temple and the city of Jerusalem and the people of God are dismantled by the Babylonian Empire and carried away into exile. The whole dynasty of the people of God comes crashing down. That in their rebellion against God, in the rebellion of their leaders, in the chaos of it all, many of them are taken into Babylon. They become refugees. They're exiled in this 160-year period. And even the remnant who are left in Jerusalem are left in brokenness and destruction. All between the end of chapter 39 and the beginning of chapter 40 of Isaiah. And that period of Bible history and of world history represents the breaking down and the fracturing of the national and international systems of power and the fight for who will emerge as the new superpower. These are in-between times. And in those in-between times, in those in-between times, it creates personal, collective, even national and international anxiety. Does that sound familiar at all? For us in this in-between time, where it feels like things have been shaken and are being shaken that seem out with our control. Systems of power and nations and the international world and so much more. And there feels like a collective anxiety about where we are, even across the globe. Mark Sayers in his book, uh, A Non-Anxious Presence, talking about how the people of God and this collective anxiety of the world need to model a closeness with God that is non-anxious. Isn't that beautiful? And the collective anxiety of our world, what's going to happen? What's going to happen next? What's happening over here? What's happening over here? That somehow we as the people of God will be so close to the non-anxious God that we would become a non-anxious presence in the world. He talks about these in-between times as gray zones, 
where it's difficult to know what was and what is yet to come, what was black and what was what is white, and it, and it just kind of feels like a gray in between zone. He calls those times in history, whether past or present, gray zones. He says, gray zones exist in the overlap of two eras. They contain the influence of both the passing and forming era. This makes gray zones confusing and contradictory. The era that is passing and the one that is just beginning to form but hasn't quite formed. And we sit in the middle of this. We're in a gray zone. We're in a gray zone internationally, nationally. There feels like a collective anxiety. I mentioned earlier that I was speaking in uh, Italy this last week. We were there with uh, the faculty of uh, uh, Europe and Middle East Nazarene colleges as we gathered together. And those folk were coming from all kinds of places that understand this collective anxiety that we speak of. There was people from Europe and America and the UK, but also from the Middle East, the Gulf region, the Arab states, from Russia, from Ukraine. And, and they represented areas and relationships, geopolitical, international relationships that are being shaken. It's uncertain of how all of the, the, the relationships and the, the, the alliances internationally will fall. And wondering how it will all unpack. And that's just in the international government scene. What about the networks of global corporations? Our Amazons and Teslas and Twitters and Facebooks and Metas, their empires and their emperors, Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg. And what's their influence in all of this? And then it feels like the shaking also is happening in trusted or previously trusted places. What does it feel like as we look at the media and social media, which at times, I don't know about you, but they feel confusing, conflicting, polarizing. Traditional societal structures for us are suffering. Strongholds that we would put trust in feel like they're being stretched to breaking point. We hear about an economic crisis, a government crisis, an NHS crisis, all the places that we, we put a stronghold trust in and we'll be all right, we've got this. They're all being shaken. They're all at crisis, stretching, breaking point. The media, morality, everything being shaken. Feels a little bit like this from Psalm 11, verse 3. When the foundations are being shaken, what can the righteous do? We're in a gray zone, an in-between space, where it feels like the strongholds and the foundations that we previously were formed by and trusted, they're all being shaken. And all this change and complexity in the world around us I don't know about you, but sometimes it makes my head feel like this. So much that I have known 
and trusted in the past that seems to be going by the wayside, but as a yet, what's yet to come feels a bit elusive. And we're in this gray zone. And the confusing complexity can create a sense of anxiety, not just personally, but across a community, a city, a nation, even the nations. And any amount of time on social media or in the media, you'll sense that collective anxiety. And so I think we can easily locate ourselves between the 160 years between chapter 39 and chapter 40 of Isaiah, this in-between, this unwritten waiting. It feels like things are shaking and shifting and things that were familiar are no longer stable. And that can create an anxious era. But, but in the waiting and in the silence, in this gray zone, in this wilderness, this in-between, in this collective anxiety, the waiting is broken by the voice of Yahweh, God Almighty, when he says, your God says, comfort, comfort my people, speak tenderly to Jerusalem, and tell them that their hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she's received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. We'll just pause there. Speak tenderly into the collective anxiety and confusion of that 160 years that they were experiencing. God speaks tenderly. It means from God's heart to the heart of his people in this gray zone. And a, a picture of intimacy, the closeness of God, the care of God, that he would speak tenderly after all that they had been through. And that in this 60-year period, it, things were coming to an end, that hard service that they were going through, that their wrong, their sin that they were carrying around with them as if they were carrying a collective rucksack of stones on their shoulders, exiled to this other place, is coming to an end, and that they received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Now, there's different views on how to read that double for all her sins, but we believe, especially from the New Testament, that mercy triumphs over just judgment. And that in some way, for all their sins, God brings to them grace and mercy, more, double than they deserve, an abundance of his grace and mercy. God speaks tenderly to them. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, in the gray zone, in the in-between place. A voice calling, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Everything's been shaken for a reason. Some things must fall to make way for what God will do that is new. In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up. Every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level. The rugged places are plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. 
thank God for a wilderness when things are being shaken. Why? Because God is preparing the way out of the wilderness. God has plans and purposes for himself and for his people that will come from the wilderness place. We can't avoid it or step around it and expect to find the purposes of God. They're found in the wilderness when everything else has been shaken. Even though it feels like a gray zone in its collective anxiety, there God makes his way. The wilderness, the desert, it may feel like an anxious place. And the effects of those places can be felt very personally. Maybe you feel that sometimes yourself in all that's happening. Maybe you feel some anxiety. Or we feel it collectively or nationally, even internationally. And shaking impacts people living in this anxious time and anxious system. And everyone's talking about pandemics. There was the COVID pandemic. There's a mental health pandemic, an economic pandemic. Some people are talking about a pandemic of pandemics. No wonder we're all stressed and anxious. But it feels very real in this time of shaking. But of all the things that the pandemic and the pandemic of pandemics has done, is it has started to expose and reveal the fragility of this complex world that we thought we were in charge of. All of a sudden, it doesn't seem so safe, this great thing that we created without God. And it feels very, very fragile. And the fracturing and panic, even within the UK system, this strong place that we live, that's feeling fractured. Trusted and comforting strongholds are breaking. In the UK, we've created such human strongholds and we've found relative comfort in them. But then we've put less of our trust in God as a result. It's unsurprising that we have a collective anxiety in the world for God has been pushed out as we create our own strongholds and systems of comfort. But the wilderness, the wilderness starts to uncover and expose the cracks. It begins to reveal things. And I tell you what, the pandemic of pandemics is revealing all kinds of things about this fragile system. We thought we'd made it. But there is an uncovering and an exposing, and that's where we are just now. God is uncovering and exposing the weakness of our best laid plans. But in the wilderness, we also start to discover. Remember when Jesus was in the wilderness? If you read the story of Jesus in the wilderness, it's a story of uncovering and exposing and then revealing and discovering. As the enemy, as Satan tries to entice Jesus in that wilderness place, all that happens is that the devil's plans and purposes are exposed. 
in that place of wilderness. It's the devil who ends up being shaken, not Jesus. It's the enemy who ends up being shaken and exposed and uncovered. Jesus is tempted about how the enemy could give him personal power. And who would he worship? But it ended up being the enemy that was exposed. And as the enemy is exposed, Jesus also in that place of wellness begins to have revealed to him the Father's plans and purposes. God will expose what the real situation is and he'll begin to reveal in the wilderness what is next and what is next for him and and his people and his world. And it's interesting to note that it is the wilderness from which the highway will be built. The highway of the Lord is prepared and built in and from the wilderness, the desert. As things are brought down, other things will be built up by God. What must come crashing down will come down. It's inevitable. But what must rise up, God will raise up again. God is magnificently and faithfully at work in the gray zone. And so whether you feel personally like you have your own gray zone or in-between zone, or whether you're just sharing in that collective anxiety with everybody else, God is always magnificently and faithfully at work, bringing down what must be brought down and raising up what must be brought up. This is our God at work. And it comes in and from the wilderness. Now, some of this is all big picture. But, but I've experienced this in my own life. I was 10 years in the East End of Glasgow in ministry in the inner city in one of the poorest communities in Scotland. And it takes its toll on you in those years when you're faced day in, day out with death and addiction and poverty and struggle and people's pain and anxiety and depression and an overwhelming crisis of mental health. And you're in the middle of it with your church trying to make a difference. And after 10 years of that, Carolyn and I were absolutely exhausted. We were disillusioned. We were disappointed that all the things we thought should have happened didn't happen. We were dislocated, weary, anxious, hurt. And so we took a year's sabbatical. And we headed over to the States, did some study there uh, just to get some time away. But we were so burnt out by what was happening. We were in our gray zone. And we were disappointed with people and we were disappointed with what was happening in the community. We were disappointed with the powers that be, the systems, the structures of our world that made it so difficult for people to get what they needed. And we understood these verses that come next in Isaiah 40. A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All people are like glass, grass and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows in them. Surely the people are grass. And honestly, that, that's what we felt like. It's as if you could just go, and it would all be done and gone. 
we felt that disillusionment and disappointment. And I could resonate with these words. But in that wilderness place for us, God had more to reveal to us. And we needed to be in that wilderness place because the truth was, we had put some stock in things that were of no use in the kingdom of God. And God would have to teach us that some of those things, either within us or that we were trusting, and they would have to go. So that we would trust once again and make God and God along the stronghold of our lives. I needed a wilderness place to expose the things that were in me or around me with which God could not work. So that then he would be ready to show me what he was doing and would do in my life. God was to reveal not just the reality of the circumstances that we were in, but he was about to reveal himself and the truth about what would happen next. God always has more to say, an ever-emerging word. And so we read in verse 8 of chapter 40, yes, the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of God endures forever. So through all of this shaking, from all of the shaking throughout all history that's taken place, these in-between places, these unwritten times of waiting, well, everything has come and gone and come and gone, the word of God remains forever. And he speaks amidst the wilderness. I can remember the moment where it all made sense for me in this wilderness moment for Carolyn and I, in the retreat of silence at the Abbey of Gethsemane in Louisville, Kentucky, God began to expose the strongholds of my life, the source of my anxiety and disillusionment. Some of them were personal. Some of them were just to do with the systems of this world. Matters of my own heart, matters of the world. But in the silence, God spoke tenderly from his heart to mine, exposing and the unhealthy and unhelpful and simply revealing himself, his presence, his word. And he said, Ian, behold your God. In the wilderness, we need to behold the Lord more than anything else. We've said a lot about vision in the last month and it's good. But the first call of our vision is upward to God. Behold your God. That's what will deliver us from this collective anxiety. When we set our eyes on him, behold him, worship him, glory in him, delight in him, and let the shaking take place. And let the strongholds fall. But we will keep our eyes on the Lord you who bring good news to Zion, go up on a mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Don't be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, behold, here is your God. Friends, in the time of shaking, we need a fresh perspective. That's what mountains do. Mountains are not the place of escape. 
We'll just disappear to the mountains and get, get a rest from the anxiety. Mountains give perspective. Remember when Peter, James and John joined Peter in the Mount of Transfiguration with uh, Jesus and Moses and Elijah and, and Peter said, Let, let's build a tent. Why? Because he wanted to escape. But what God wanted him to do is have perspective from that mountaintop view. Perspective of who his God really was. Behold, here is your God. And amidst whatever is happening, either in your personal life or around us, and even in the international stage, God knows. And amidst all the anxiety, he calls us to him. Behold, here is your God. The one who stands strong, whose word remains the same forever, even through the in-between times. Behold, people, let's give our full attention to God. Let's fasten our gaze on him. Let's refocus our view on him. And so in a season when we're looking at vision locally, we recognize that it all hinges on our vision of God. Behold, here is your God. Because in the wilderness, in the gray zones, when everything has been shaking, that's when we rediscover the Lord. And in doing so, we relinquish and let go of the human highways and the human structures. And we begin to find the highway of the Lord out of the wilderness. God's highway. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. See, behold, his reward is with him. His recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Behold your God, the one who is both the sovereign ruler of all things but is also the good shepherd who comes to his people. Sovereign Lord, the one of power and might, he's the one who's resetting things to the way that they should be. His recompense accompanies him. He's putting things right once again. He's bringing his reward but also it's his eternal power and might. Chapter 40 will go on to have verses that begin to talk about the incomparable God. There's no one like him. Behold the incomparable God. Who is like him? Not the gods, not the rulers, not the governments, not the nations, not anything. Not even the stars in the heavens. Only God is the almighty. Only God, the eternal one. I was out yesterday afternoon. I'd finished all my prep and I just went out to walk and pray and put the uh, AirPods in and, uh, and worshipped. And as I was, as I was walking, I, I, a song that I'd never heard of before came on. It's called Holy Forever. And as I was walking, I, I just started to well up the sense of, of who God is. Behold, here is your God. It says a thousand generations falling down in worship to sing the song of ages to the Lamb and all who've gone before us and all who will believe 
will sing the song of ages to the Lamb. Your name is the highest, the greatest, standing above them all. All thrones and dominions, powers and positions, your name stands above them all. And the angels cry, holy. Creation cries, holy. You are lifted high, holy, holy forever. And in those moments, the overwhelming sense that I had was of the God of all eternity who is not shaken when everything else is shaking, but whose word is strong and whose presence is strong. He is the eternal God. And sometimes I have to tie and bind myself into the sense of the eternal with God, no matter how much things are shaking around us. God, the Almighty, is strong. His power and might forever. I think we need to bind ourselves into that sense of the eternal God when everything else is shaking around us. So he's the mighty God, the powerful God, the sovereign God over all things. Hallelujah. But he's also the good shepherd who comes with comfort and peace. He gathers his flock He takes the lambs in his arms. Isn't this an amazing phrase? He carries them close to his heart. I want to see if there's anyone in the congregation this morning who thinks God has no space or place for them. I want you to have this picture. God wants to carry you close to his heart. Such is his love for you. If you're in any doubt, you catch hold of that phrase. God wants to carry you close to his heart of love. And he gently leads them. That that picture is a picture of, of healing and restoring, of bringing rest, of drawing close as we behold him, the great God, gathering us. It's it's intimacy close to the heart, where he speaks gently or tenderly. So we have this great eternal God. But then we have this gentle shepherd. The sovereign Lord, the shepherd Lord. Mark Sayers says this. In the shepherd, we find a biblical model of leadership, of a non-anxious presence, which is not dependent on reserves of personal power, but on the presence of God encountered in the wild places. What do we do when we're in the wilderness and the in-between? Behold, here is your God. And in that place, we encounter him as sovereign Lord and as shepherd Lord, the one who speaks tenderly to our hearts. I love the writing of Walter Brueggemann. And he says some wonderful things that go on and on in chapters. And then every so often, he just says one phrase. In commenting on these verses, he says this. Yahweh's presence changes everything. And in the wilderness times, it is Yahweh who is changing everything. It is Yahweh's presence that makes the difference for the people of God in the wilderness places of our life. It's just God. So behold, behold him. Let's learn what it means to behold the sovereign Lord, the shepherd Lord in our lives. 
this wilderness moment is unlikely to be fleeting or quick. I think there's much that is still to be uncovered and exposed and revealed. There's still some shaking to be done. But it's also the place where more of God is to be beheld and revealed and discovered. Amen. Behold our sovereign God and our shepherd God. And there is great freedom and strength in learning to behold our God because there is a lot of anxiety around and you may feel it. But when we behold the living God, the non-anxious God in his peace and his shepherding, we then begin to experience his freedom and strength. So in this monastery in Louisville, Kentucky, I was out on day three and I was in, a, in the garden, it's a huge garden, I mean acres of a garden. And I could see a couple of hundred meters away, there was a, a girl in a white dress. Now, it could have been an angel. I think it was a person because I saw her later on, but it just could have been an angel again. But, and she was dancing. And she was dancing so freely. And I looked at her and I thought, Lord, if only I could worship you like that. In that freedom. So I was out for a walk a little bit later on and I was up in some of the wooded area. And I came to a statue of the, the, the sacred heart of Jesus. And, and as I was there, I just began to pray and to worship. And lo and behold, that this kind of inhibited Scotsman not begin to dance. I'm not going to show you. <laughs> in this great sense of freedom. Why? Because in that moment I was beholding the Almighty God and I was liberated. There was no anxiety. There was no place where I was feeling inhibited. It was just beholding our God. Nothing else mattered. In the wilderness place, that's what I discovered, the beholding of our God. And amidst this sense of shaking, that we would behold our God. In the wilderness, in this uncertainty, we often look in the wrong directions. As everything that is shaking goes, we, we look to see how we can repair that. I think some stuff's just going to have to go. Let's behold our God. Let him do what he needs to do in this shaking time. And in the beholding, we'll encounter him in new ways. I'm going to ask the band to come up. There's one last behold as we step into communion. In this wilderness place where God is doing some shaking but also some rebuilding, in this in-between space, this wilderness place, where we will behold more and more this God of ours. We behold him as the sovereign God, the shepherd God, but we also behold him as the savior God. It was John the Baptist and his call and cry out, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In just a few chapters from Isaiah chapter 40, Isaiah outlines a staggering truth about this God who is full of both power and love, justice and mercy 
truth and grace when he says this about here is our God. Jesus, pointing to Jesus, who was despised and rejected by humanity, a man of suffering, familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was in him. And by his wounds we were healed. He took on the rocks of sin and hurt and pain in our life. Behold the Savior God who takes all of that for us. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned our own way and the Lord has laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world of my world, of your world. And even in this time of shaking, God is still dealing with the sin of this world through Jesus Christ on the cross. It is there that we go to Jesus to unburden that which is weighing us down. It is on to him that we might sense that freedom in Christ. Behold the Lamb of God who takes the sin of the world. Friends, I hope that this season for us will be one of new beholding. It's a beautiful word. See, set your gaze towards, look. This is your God. Behold the sovereign Lord. He'll not be shaken. The other stuff has to be shaken. Behold the sovereign Lord. But it is a bit anxious. Well, behold the shepherd Lord who speaks tenderly. And then behold the Savior Lord. Behold the Lamb of God who brings us back to God that we might live in his freedom. As we take communion this morning, the bread and the cup, I pray that you take a few moments to behold all that God is and all that he has done in Christ Jesus on the cross and in the resurrection. Shall we pray? Oh Lord, come Holy Spirit. Thank you Lord that we behold our God now seated on the throne, high and lifted up. But thank you that you have come to us in life, death, and resurrection. And Lord, as we take this communion this morning, this bread and the cup, signs of your broken body and shed blood, we pause 
to behold the cross, to kneel before you, Lord Jesus, and to pause in a moment of confession and repentance and prayer. Father, forgive us for putting so much faith and stock in the world around us and not enough in you. Instead, Lord, we put our trust now in you, living God. Thank you that in the cross, sin is forgiven. Thank you that in the cross, healing comes. Thank you that in the cross, strongholds are broken. Thank you that in the cross where death is, life is born. And so, Lord, of all the places where it might feel like a wilderness, it's the cross of Christ. But from the cross of Christ, resurrection comes. A highway from the wilderness. For Christ is risen. Hallelujah. So, people of God, as you take this bread and cup, Receive again the benefits of the cross, the forgiveness of Christ, the healing from his wounds. Receive it all in Christ and the Holy Spirit as you eat and drink in Jesus' name.